Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Well, good. Um, t- before I jump into what we're talking about today, let me ask you this. Um, we sang a song a while ago called Never Let Go. I love that song. How many, and don't raise your hand because you feel like you have to because other people are around you or whatever. But if you are, if you have a, had experiences with, with Christ and you could say, you could raise your hand and say, I know the words of that song are true. God, I've been through terrible times. I've been through amazingly high times. And through all of it, God has never let go of me. If you could say that's true, I want you to raise your hand real high. All right, cool. Now, um, one of the things that we want to see happen uh, at, at Freedom is we want to see God grow this church, not because we want to have a big church, but because we believe that the message that we're sharing about who Jesus is and what he can do is the only message that changes lives. It's the only truth that's out there. And so what my desire is, is for this place to be jam-packed out, you know, four or five services every Sunday. And let me tell you how that's going to happen. It's not going to happen through a great direct mail campaign It's not going to happen through having an awesome website. It's not going to even happen through having a good band or me being a good teacher. It's going to happen when all of us who raised our hands, if we will tell that story. If we will, instead of just coming here and singing about how God never has let us go, instead of just gathering together and, and doing that with all these people that believe like we do, if you will take that story and you will share that, in the places you work, in the places you go to school, in the places that you play and have fun and do your hobbies at it, whether it's the golf course or whatever. That's what will change this community, and that's what will change lives. And so I just wanted to, I just thought about that as, as we sang that song. I just wanted to, to throw that out. We're starting a new, um, a new series today called House. And uh, it's not based on the TV show. I've never seen the TV show, but they show commercials for it when I'm watching football. And I can tell you what that show is about, even though I promise you I've never watched one episode. But those of you that are fans, tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is just what I've gathered from the commercials during football games. There's this doctor. His name, I think, is House. And... um and someone will get sick and it will be this strange disease that no one's ever heard of and they can't figure out what to do and he will come up with some radical, maybe often illegal, just kind of crazy treatment to treat this person and they will live and he will be the hero. Is that what the show is about or am I wrong about that? I think that's pretty much what it's about from the TV, the TV commercials. But we're not talking about that show. We're not basing it on that. But what we're talking about for the month of January is we're going to talk about the fact that our lives are like a spiritual house. That you have different sections of your life. You have different rooms in your life. And we're going to deal with each one of those throughout this month, each Sunday during January. And I think it's a great time to do that at the beginning of the year because uh, well, yesterday, Sherry and I spent some time cleaning out some closets and stuff at our house. And, and you know that, that if you don't pay attention to what your house that you live in is like, if you don't paint it, if you don't do any preventative maintenance, you don't replace a roof or, you know, make sure that the heater's working right, redo some carpet. If you don't do any of that kind of stuff, pretty soon it's not going to be a place you want to live. And in fact, pretty soon it's going to start falling down and getting pretty decrepit and, uh, and not be a place that anyone wants to, uh, to hang out at. And our spiritual lives are very similar to that. 
a lot of times what we do as followers of Christ is we had an experience with Jesus a long time ago. Maybe even when you were a child and you accepted Christ and, and you accepted His free gift of salvation, you believe in grace, you believe in the cross, you believe in the resurrection, you were probably even baptized, and then a lot of times that's where it ended for you. And then now you expect everything just to be wonderful and, and upkeep and all that on its own without you doing anything about it. But I think it's good for us with our spiritual lives, just like it is with our house, for us to inspect things from time to time to look at things, maybe kind of refurbish and say, hey, this is an area that needs some improvement. So we're going to talk for the next few weeks about that. And maybe there'll be some weeks where we'll hit on something that really hits home for you. And maybe there'll be some other weeks where you think, man, I got that area under control or whatever. Just be here for each Sunday and ask God what he wants to tell you. And so today we're going to begin in a room of the house. It's really kind of an outside room. And we're going to begin in the garage. Now, For many of you, the garage is the place where you store all your junk, right? And, uh, and, you know, I've seen garage, and mine's been almost this bad, but I've seen garages where when the garage door opens up, there's literally stuff from the floor to the ceiling. And there's no way you could get a car. You couldn't even get like, uh, one of those smart cars, one of those cars that you could like, you know, drive up here on the stage. You couldn't even get one of those in there because it's so full. But we're not talking about the junk area. That's going to be the closet. We're going to talk about the closet another week. All right. And cleaning out our closets. But what we're going to talk about today is the garage as far as possessions. Because see, the garage is really designed, now whether yours is being used like this or not, the garage is really designed to hold some cars, right? I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, it's, it's supposed to be able to have enough space to drive a couple cars up into. Maybe put a boat in there. Some of you, you know, you, your car can stay outside, but that boat is going to be in the garage, right, where it won't get wet. And, uh, and, and, and uh, maybe motorcycles or whatever. So our garage is where we store our possessions. And what I want us to talk about today is what the Bible has to say about possessions. Because we live in a culture, this American culture that we live in, I would go so far as to say that many folks in our culture are possessed by their possessions. It's what they think about. It's what they live for. It's the only reason they get up in the morning is because they've got this thing that they're striving to attain. If their life could be complete, if they could just get this new whatever it might be. And they've always got something on their mind. And so we live in this this culture that's possessed by possessions. And we're going to look at what the Bible says. Now, what you need to know before we jump into, there's going to be two passages of Scripture we're going to look at. Before we jump into those, what you need to know is this. What the Bible says about possessions is so different than the way the world views possessions that it's going to be hard for you to hear it possibly. Um, it's kind of like uh, several years ago I saw, uh, I was watching a... Um, a TV special on like Discovery Channel or something like maybe the Learning Channel, uh, something like that. But it was about wilderness attacks. You know, those are always great shows. And and, uh, and it was talking about grizzly bears. And if you are ever getting attacked by a grizzly bear. Now, whether you know it or not, there's in, uh, in other parts of the country like Alaska, there are these grizzly bears which are a lot worse than the bears we have. You know, we have some black bears if you go up in the mountains. You don't want to mess with them either. But they're not as bad as a grizzly bear. I've got a picture of a grizzly bear up here. That's uh so now on this, this, this special that I saw about grizzly bears, it says that if you're face to face with that right there, it, what it told you to do seemed strange to me because here's what I would do if I saw that. First of all, I would run. 
Um, and I'd try to climb a tree, but of course grizzly bears can climb trees. Then maybe I'd grab like a rock or a stick and, you know, at least I'm going to go down fighting. I'm not going to just, you know, just lay there. But what the experts say, if you're getting attacked by a grizzly bear, you know what they tell you to do? Does anybody, has anybody heard this before? Play dead. Now here's why they tell you that. Because if you play dead, it makes the inevitable end of you, you know, getting eaten, it just makes it a lot easier for the bear. That's why they want you to play dead. No, I'm just kidding. They, they say, because we don't want the bear to get hurt in this whole thing. No, no, what they say is, is that if you play dead, the bear will leave you alone. I guess, you know, the bear only likes food that it killed or something. And, and so, um, but, but sure, you're supposed to play dead. Now, for me, I'm thinking that if that happened to me, I'd say, you know what, I know what the experts say, but that doesn't sound right to me. I'm going to do it my own way, and I'm fighting this thing, or I'm running, or whatever. And chances are, if I did that, I'd end up getting eaten. Because it doesn't seem natural. My natural inclination would not be to play dead in the face of that right there. And what we're going to talk about today in terms of possessions, and what the Bible says about possessions, it's not going to seem natural to you. You're going to read this stuff and you're going to hear what, what the Bible says in 1 Timothy and what Jesus had to say in Luke. And you're going to hear that stuff and you're going to say, you know what, that, that just doesn't seem natural to me. I'm, I'm going to do it my own way. Uh, forget all what that says. I'm going to try it my own way. And just like the fact that if I tried to manage that grizzly bear on my own, it would result in some bad stuff. If we try to live our lives different than what the Bible says in regards to our possessions, we're going to be dealing with some bad stuff in our lives. And so here's what I want you to do. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy's towards the end of the Bible. 1 Timothy 6. And I'm going to read you four verses there. Actually, five verses. 1 Timothy 6 through 10. And follow along while I read this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Keep your finger there in 1 Timothy. We're going to stay there for a few moments. And, uh, but there's one point. This is basically a one-point sermon. And this is, this is what I want you to walk away from here today remembering. This is the point. Wanting it all can destroy you. Wanting it all can destroy you. Several years ago... There was a group, Queen, I don't know if you heard of them, rock group. Uh, they were pretty popular back when I was in high school. And, uh, and um, they, had a, they had a song called, I Want It All. And the chorus said, I want it all and I want it now. And that is like an anthem for our world today. That is what people live their lives by. We want everything and not only do we want it all, we want it immediately. And, and we, and in fact, for, for many of us, the idea of having to wait on something is like the worst thing ever. Save up? You mean I'm gonna have to actually save for a year before I can have that? That's, that's not acceptable to me. 
I want it right now. I saw this thing. It was shiny. I liked it. Now in my heart, I feel like I can't live without it. So I will do anything and everything. I will go to great lengths to get that. And I want to have it by the end of the day. And if I go on this website and they don't have overnight shipping, that's not good enough for me. That's kind of the way many of us live our lives. We want everything and we want it immediately. We want it right now. And what we have to remember is that wanting it all can destroy us. You see, that attitude of wanting everything and wanting it right now is so against what Scripture teaches that it's not even funny. But we've been fooled into believing that that's the way to live. Look back at 1 Timothy 6-8. through Let me read those three verses to you again. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I don't know about you, but most of the time I don't live my life that way. Oh, food and clothing, I'm cool. Everything's good. No, I don't need that iPod. I don't need a car. I don't need, uh, you know, all this other stuff. I got food, I got clothing, everything's good with me. That's not really the way we live our lives. And the word that I want you to focus on is in, found in verse 6. I think this is the, it's so important. Verse 6 where it says this, Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. See, here's, here's where this thing gets a little difficult for us to understand. The Bible never says it's wrong to have possessions. The Bible never says that it's wrong to have stuff, okay? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're evil if you have a car or two cars. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're evil if you have a boat or, or a house at the beach. That doesn't say that in Scripture. But what the Scripture does say is the trick is being content with what you already have. Um, in fact, uh, there's a lot of Scripture in the Bible that says that the stuff that you've been blessed with, the possessions you have, the money you have, that that's a gift to you from God, and you're supposed to be using that to help other people. And so oftentimes, if you've been blessed with money, you, you shouldn't feel guilty about, well, you know, God's blessed my business this year, and we've, we've made all this money, and things are going well. You don't have to feel evil because of that, but what you need to do is you need to figure out, okay, now, God, how do you want me to use this? And the key is to be content with what you've got. That's the word there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But we live in a culture that doesn't want us to be content with what we have. I don't know if you know this or not, if you ever watch TV, but companies spend millions and millions of dollars a year just to make you discontent, just to make you unhappy with your life. That's their, that's their goal. We can't let people think that they can live without this product. If people believe that they can survive without an iPhone, Apple has not done their job. What they want you to believe is, I've got to be able to get in touch with everybody immediately. I have to be able to be on the internet. My life will not be complete if I don't have this car. And they spend millions of dollars trying to convince you that your life is not good enough the way it is now. And so this whole idea of contentment, our society rails against that. Our society pushes back against contentment. No, you can't be content. You can't be happy with what you've got. You need this, and you need more, and you need better, and you need nicer clothes, and a more expensive house, and better places to live, and all those kinds of things. 
That's what they want you to believe. And so this idea when the Bible says you're supposed to be content with what you've got, that seems unnatural to us because our whole society is telling us, oh, you can't be content. You can't be content unless you have something new, unless you have lots of new stuff. But see, here's the thing about that word content. That word that's translated there, contentment, and I think this is so important. You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read you another verse of Scripture in just a second. That verse, that, that word that's translated contentment, did you know that word is only used one other time in the whole New Testament? It's a Greek word. Out of all the words in the New Testament, it's used twice. And it's one time as in that verse in Timothy where it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm going to read you the second one right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you know the word that's translated contentment in in First Timothy? You know what it's translated here? It's having all that you need. And what does it say will make us feel like we have all that we need? Does it say it's a new car? Does it say it's a new house? Does it say it's an iPhone or a new computer? No. What will make us feel like we have all that we need is one thing and one thing only, and it's grace. Right there, it says 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. And now here's something else interesting. That 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you know what it's talking about before this verse comes up? Money. It's saying if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. In other words, if you give a lot of money away, you'll reap a lot of money. If you hold on to all your money, you won't get as much money. And so right there, two times in the Bible when it's talking about possessions and money, this word for contentment comes up. And the message that the Bible is telling us, the message that God wants us to know is this. Nothing will make you happy except grace. Nothing will make you content except grace. Being content can only happen through grace. If you're trying, if you think, if I could just get these two cars paid off and then have enough money to buy something else, then everything will be okay. You're going to find out that that's going to disappoint you. You're going to feel empty when you achieve that level of success. If only I could make this much money a year, then that's all I would need. Over Christmas, we were talking to my parents, and my dad's retired now, and and um, he was telling me that when he first started working with he was a banker before he retired, and he said when he first started working with the bank when he was uh, in, his, in his 20s, he said he could remember that the vice presidents of the bank at that time um, we're making, I think he said they were making like, uh, it was, I think it was like $3,000 a month or something like that. And he, he thought to himself, man, if I could make that much money, that would be, that'd be all I'd need. If I could just, I'd be happy if I could make that much money. You know, and he said, now looking back on that, it seems so silly to be able to think that because now his health insurance, you know, costs more a month than what he would, than what he thought that he could live on back then. And that's what we're going to find. If we put a dollar figure on it, if we put a, if I could just have this possession or if I could make this amount of money, once you get it, that's not going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. The only thing, the only place you're going to find contentment is in the grace of God. That's the only place. 
Now, if you're here today and, and maybe you're new to church and, and, and you're new to the Bible and you say, okay, well, well, Cliff, you know, what's grace all about? Where does grace come from? And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but, but grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Because we all deserve to be punished. We all deserve, because we've all sinned, we've all done things against God. And the Bible says the punishment for sin is death. And what the Bible tells us is, is that through Jesus Christ, through Him dying on the cross, now we can receive something we don't deserve. We deserve death, but we can receive eternal life if we believe in Jesus. And it's only through accepting that, it's only through accepting grace, that we will ever, ever find contentment. Nothing else will ever give it to us. Then in verse 9, 1 Timothy 6 says this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation. Now notice, it doesn't say people who are rich. Because what I love about this passage of Scripture is, those of us who aren't rich, and by the way, none of us think we're rich. I've, I've known people that are rich, and they'll tell you, oh, I ain't rich. All right, and I and there's people that would look at me. I've got a house, I got two cars, and we got heat in our house. I'm rich compared to a lot of people in the world, but I'll tell you, I ain't rich, right? But this verse is written for us poor folks, all right? Because it doesn't say people who are rich, it says people who want to get rich. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wanting it all will destroy you. Wanting to get rich, the Scripture tells us, then you, if, you, if you're, that's your desire, all I want is I want to I have enough money to never work again. I want to be so rich, I want to be as like Bill Gates so I can just give money away and never work and play golf all day if that's what I want to do. That's what I want. That's my desire in life. The Bible tells if that's your desire, then you will be tempted to do all kinds of things, all kinds of evil things in order to achieve that goal, and it will end in your destruction and in your ruin. That's what the Scripture tells us. It's not being rich that's the problem, it's wanting to get rich that's the problem. You see, if being content is resting in the grace of God, wanting to get rich is being restless in the face of God. Because you, you have a relationship with God, you have this opportunity, and you have this opportunity to have this amazing relationship with the face of God, with, with who God is, and you say, but that's not enough for me. Instead of being content in grace, we're being restless in the face of God and saying, okay, God, I know you died for me, I know I've been forgiven, but that's still not enough, I want this next thing. There's something new over there, there's something faster than what I've got over there, there's something shinier than the one I've got, i got to have that, i got to have that. If I could just have that, God, I still like you, but if I could just have that, then I'll really be happy. And we're being restless in the face of God instead of being content with the grace of God. And you see, the, the sad thing about that is, is this grace that we've been given, it's been given to us at great sacrifice. Christ gave His life so that we could have grace. And we would rather trade that in for something new and fast and shiny. And the Scripture says if that's the way we live our lives, it's going to end in our destruction. Wanting it all can 
destroy you. You see, it's um, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a, a strange situation um, now that you know we're ending uh, 2009. We've gone into 2010, and and uh, every every decade has its you know like the 80s was like the um, you know the hair band and greed generation or decade they say, and the the 70s was like disco and polyester and the me generation in the 60s was like you know free love and drugs and hippies and all that kind of stuff and I was thinking you know how is how is this generation this this decade going to be remembered 2000 to 2009 how is that going to and that is a decade by the last 10 years all right even I know some of you are saying yeah but the millennium didn't begin till no it started in 2000 I don't care what anybody says and so from 2000 to 2009 is the first decade of this century uh, of this millennium, how is it going to be remembered? And I was watching a special on TV the other night, and I was reminded of some stuff. You remember how this decade started? It started with the dot-com boom. Does anybody remember that? All these new dot-com companies were starting up, and people were putting all kind of money, and they were investing in that, and the stocks were shooting through the roof, even though these companies had never turned a profit you know, Bank of America stock, which turned a profit every day, you know, was just staying like this. And, and uh, some of these, you know, Amazon and stuff, even before they'd ever turned a profit, was shooting up through the roof because people just had to have it. And then that thing fell apart and people lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And then the next thing that came along was the real estate boom. And I know all of you remember that. And people were buying houses. I'm going to buy three houses, and I'm going to fix them up. We're going to flip them, and we're going to turn more money. And then I'm going to build this, and I'm going to build that, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, and, and some of those folks made some money, but then some of those stayed in too long and didn't get out, and the bottom fell out of that, and people lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And in both of those situations, there were a lot of people involved in those that they were only involved because they wanted to get rich and they wanted to get rich quick. Oh, this looks like the easiest, fastest way to make $100,000. This looks like the quickest way that I can turn a profit of a half a million bucks. And then I'll take that and I'll invest it and I'll turn another half a million and it's all going to happen because I bought this dot-com stock. Or I built these four houses and now they're going to flip around and then you get stuck with them and it falls apart. And where did that begin? Warning it all. And wanting it now. And it led to very, very many folks. It led to their destruction. I want you to turn to the book of Luke as we finish up. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. See, you can read this stuff in the Bible. And I told you at the beginning now it was going to seem unnatural to you. Because wanting to get rich seems very natural to us. It seems very natural to me. I mean, I, I don't. I'm like anybody else. I want stuff. I like stuff. I like shiny stuff. My, I, I filled up my iPod the other day, and immediately I started thinking, well, I've got to get a new iPod, you know. time to get, Maybe I should just buy it right now. Maybe that's the kind of stuff that comes into my mind. And I get in my truck, you know, and, and, and it doesn't, it's, it's really not that great anymore because I've kind of worn it out because I've used it a lot. And I think, well, boy, it'd be nice. Oh, look at that. It's a new truck. Maybe I should... Finance one of those and drive one of those around. And so it's natural for us to want all this new stuff. And I know when you read this, it sounds unnatural. But I want you to know something. God's not trying to steal your fun. God didn't put this stuff in Scripture because He said, well, I'm going to get them. They're going to want stuff and I'm not going to let them have it. <laughs> That's not what God does. This is God. God's not trying to steal your fun. God is trying to protect us. He's trying to protect us from ruin and destruction. He's trying to protect us from ourselves. And I think it's so clear. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke chapter 12. 
verse 22. This is the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's like Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm not trying to spoil your fun, but I want you to know this desire you have to get rich, this worry that you have that keeps you up at night about how you're going to pay the credit card bill, and what are you going to do the next time the phone rings and that guy wants to talk to you about that bill that you haven't paid, and that worry that you have about how you're going to pay for the kid's college and how you're going to put new tires on the car. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, I never intended for you to carry that load. I never intended for you to worry about those things. Trust me. Be content in my grace that I give you. And I'll take care of everything you need. Now, you might not have the shiniest everything. You might not have the fastest. You might not be able to get connected to the Internet at all times. But... I'll give you what you need, not what you want. That's what Jesus is saying. And I love that in verse 29. I think this is the most important part. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. That's the question. What are you setting your heart on? When uh, Sherry and I lived in New Orleans for three years when I was going to seminary, and... um, I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans, but you might as well live on Mars. I mean, it's just a different, totally different place. It was awesome. We had a great time living there, but it was, it was just weird, you know, just weird stuff. And one of the first things, <coughs> excuse me, I got a thing in my throat here. One of the first things I noticed when we pulled into town the first time was drive-through daiquiri shops. No lie. Drive-through daiquiri, with alcoholic daiquiris. They're not just selling, you know, daiquiris with no alcohol. So on the, you've had a rough day on the way home from work, you know, pull in the drive-through, grab you a daiquiri for, for on the way, for the drive home. And that, they're all over the place in New Orleans. And I couldn't understand it. And I started asking people about how, you know, how is this legal? And what I found out is that the state of Louisiana has the strangest drinking laws. Now, at this time they did. I don't know if they're still like this. We lived there 15 years ago. But the state of Louisiana had the strangest drinking laws of any in the nation. See, in Louisiana, it was not illegal to have an open container of alcohol in your car. But it was illegal to drink that open container of alcohol in your car. So the police are always complaining. They say, we can't bust anybody for drinking and driving because, you know, we, 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 it, we can pull them over. They can have 
you know, 24 beers open in the car and we can't arrest them for anything. And so people, it was also, by the way, it wasn't illegal for teenagers to, to possess alcohol, but it was wrong for them to drink it. So you could be 16 year old holding a beer in the French Quarter, but if they saw you drink it, then you were busted. So that's why a lot of people like to come to New Orleans and party. But so, so this, 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 this rule that you could have alcohol in your car, but you couldn't drink it was kind of confusing to people. And I think that's the way we feel about what we read in the Bible. Okay, God, you're telling me it's okay to have possessions, but I'm not supposed to want possessions. That just doesn't seem to make sense to us. But that's what the the Bible teaches. It's okay for you to have something, but it's not okay for your heart to be set on that thing. It's okay for you to purchase something so that you can use to help people, so that you can use to maybe even make your own life a little bit better, but to use it to minister to other people, that's okay. But it's not okay to have your heart set on what is the next thing I'm going to get that I can't live without. Because then that goes against being content. Now here's what I want to do as we finish up. If you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, whatever you're trying to find contentment in, whether it's possessions or your job or relationship or some kind of substance, alcohol or drugs or anything like that, um, all that stuff's going to leave you unhappy. It's going to leave you empty inside. And the only place you're going to find contentment is through the grace of Jesus. And so if you need to accept Christ today, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. I'm not going to pray it for you. And then after this service is over, I want you to come up to me and say, I prayed that or I need to pray that. Or I want you to find Donnie uh, or somebody and say, I need, to, I need to talk to you about that. But you need to go to God and say, God, I, I admit I've done things wrong. I've sinned. I'm, I, I deserve to die. I know that. And I also believe that Jesus died for me so that I don't have to die, so that I can be forgiven. And I want to accept him, and I want to give my life to him. That's what you need to do if you're not a follower of Christ today. And that's the only place you're going to find contentment. If you want to talk to me, you want to talk to Donnie, you want to talk to any of our people wearing a name tag after this service is over, they would love to talk to you about that. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to ask you a couple questions before we end. Is your heart set on the next thing you're going to buy or is, it, or is your heart set on furthering the kingdom of God? Because in that scripture in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, do not set your heart on this stuff, but instead work towards the kingdom of God. And my question for you would be, and I think it's a good question for all of us to ask, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I haven't looked at your bank account. I haven't looked at your car and decided I need to ask you this. I'm just saying I struggle with this, and I think we all do as Americans. And this is the question. Are you possessed by your possessions? Are you possessed by your possessions? Do they control you? Do you think, i got to have something new? And here's a few questions. I'm going to put these questions on my blog this week, and you can read them later. But here's a few questions I think you can ask yourself to help you answer this question, whether or not you are possessed by your possessions. One is, do you already have in your mind what the next thing is you're going to buy? Have you already figured it out and you know it? You know how much it costs? And you know when you're going to go get it? And you've already decided, no matter what else happens, that's what I'm doing. I'm buying that thing next. Do you already have that in your mind? Second one is this. 
when you get extra money. And I know some of you are like, extra money? Ha, 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 I never have extra money. But imagine if you did, all right? April 15th is coming up. Some of you might get money back from taxes. If you get $1,000 back from taxes this year, what is the first inclination of what you want to do with it? Is the first thing you think of, oh, I'm going to buy this, this, and this. What about this question? In your past, your past history, what have you been willing to go into debt for? What were you willing to say, you know what, I'll pay $300 a month at 25% interest because i got to have that right now. What were you willing to go into debt for? How about this question? Do you have storage issues at your home? Just asking. And then the last question is this. Do your plans for the future revolve around the possessions you can acquire or do they revolve around what you can accomplish for the kingdom of God? I'm here with you, all right? I'm not standing above you saying I've got all this together. But I think as Americans... We all can struggle with being possessed by our possessions. I'm going to say a prayer for all of us, and then while I do, the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing a closing song. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that your word, the Bible, is truth. And Lord, sometimes we read things in there that that don't make a lot of sense to us, like when we read that it says that we're not supposed to want to get rich. That's hard for us to understand oftentimes. And so, Lord, I pray for for myself and for each person in this room that our desire would be to honor you with our lives, including our possessions, including our checkbooks. And, Lord, that we would be able to be in a position financially to minister to other people, to help other folks, because we were not willing to be possessed by our possessions. Help us to set our hearts on expanding your kingdom, on working as hard as we can to lift up your name, and not on just acquiring things that will all one day rust and rot and fade away. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.